The views expressed in this program are those of the participants. He wasn't going to break, you know. I had a couple of days, maybe a week, not in three hours. We needed him to break. I saw an opening. I took it. You violated his rights. I can think of probably a dozen federal lawyers that would disagree with that. He was never in any real danger. I removed the bullets from my clip. The gun wasn't even loaded. Well, mine was. Yeah, well, I was pretty sure you weren't going to shoot me. You know, next time I wouldn't be so sure. Detective, I understand that you probably hate me. You have every right to, both of you. But my job isn't to make friends. It's to stop bad things from happening. And seeing as how we're just a couple of hours away from a major terrorist event and we are basically back at square one, I could really use your help. Yes, sir. Man, does that guy take jackhole lessons, or was he born that way? Neither. I asked my buddy at DHS about him. Turns out his wife was killed on 9-11. She rode the second tower down. They were on the phone together when it happened. Welcome everyone. It is Thursday, September 14, 2023. I'm Bob Metz, and this is Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. Join us for an hour of discussion that's not right-wing, it's Just Right. Fade into color, color into black and white. Under the bedclothes, everything will be alright. This past Monday marked the 22nd anniversary of 9-11, and there were numerous commentaries and retrospectives floating throughout the online media during the week surrounding that date. But none like the one you'll be hearing today. I remember exactly where I was, not only on 9-11, but also on the day that JFK was assassinated, and even more so where I was when Lee Harvey Oswald was murdered by Jack Ruby because I was watching it live on TV. The point of my raising these ingrained memories is not to particularly share them with you, but to draw your attention to the fact that I, like millions of others, can categorically confirm where I was during these history-changing events. And it is that very reaction, that burn-it-into-your-consciousness reaction, that is the intention of these false flag events, which are real events, but falsely portrayed to the public as representing something that they're not. Shock and awe. Well, the shock's about worn off these events, and most of us are now expressing a different kind of awe. Call it an awakening. <laughs> Today you will be hearing a most unique retrospective on 9-11, a living perspective, if you will, exclusive to this show for reasons that will become self-evident as our show commences, right after our reminder that you can write us at feedback at justrightmedia.org. Hear us on WBCQ and on Channel 292 Shortwave. Follow and like us on your favorite podcast platform and visit us at justrightmedia.org where you can access all of our social media links, archive broadcasts, and the support button that makes it easy for you to support the show. Because as always, your financial support is appreciated and is what makes this show possible. 
my God. That was from just one of the many scenes in a 9-11 feature movie released by Redacted News this past week, and about which you'll be hearing more as our show progresses. From the assassinations of the Kennedys, Martin Luther King, to the persistent wars being fought by America abroad, to the current military insanity in Ukraine, the world is rapidly learning that America's deep state neocons and their military-industrial complex have been a major enemy of all the world's peoples for long before any of us were even born. Most people of goodwill are simply unable to wrap their heads around the nature of people of ill will. Worse, the people of ill will actually use the goodwill of others to carry out their agendas simply by feeding them a false narrative. Garbage in, garbage out. But to the extent that there were no other narratives even considered or known, by the vast majority, those who had their goodwill violated have no reason or justification to share any burden of guilt. It is with that perspective and mindset that I find it necessary to approach today's retrospective on 9-11. In the upcoming second and third quarters of our show today, you'll be hearing a perspective of 9-11 unique to this show thanks to the fact that yours truly was a regular panelist on the now-defunct CJBK-AM radio station broadcasting on 1290, where I appeared on Left, Right, and Center, created and hosted by Jim Chapman, the person to whom I must credit my own venture into radio broadcasting. And I'm pleased to say, the broadcasts of which are all archived on our own site, where you can just click on the icon with an LRC on it. Well, we were in the midst of our broadcasting season when 9-11 occurred, and I began to wonder a few days back, just what were we saying back in those earliest days that would probably cause me to cringe in embarrassment looking back on it today? So, I went to Just Right's website, where the show is archived, and searched for 9-11. And lo and behold, there was no such topic heading on any of our own broadcasts of that period of history. And that was just the first of a series of epiphanies that descended upon me as I investigated further. So, instead of searching for the topic, I went to the time period in question. Now, 9-11 occurred on a Tuesday, and our first Left, Right, and Center show following that event occurred on 9-19, on the Thursday of the week following. The station had certainly displaced a lot of its regular programming to cover the event itself, and so our own commentary on 9-11 occurred eight days later at a time when the term 9-11 was not yet being used in the way we understand it today. And the topic of our discussion that day was instead entitled The War on Terror. And when I listened to that show, my jaw just about dropped to the floor. Just what might you suppose that we were talking about? No, not Osama bin Laden, whose name had not yet permeated the major media, but was just making a break. In fact, we were still utterly in the dark as to who could have been responsible for what was indeed a terrorist attack, and which we now know without any doubt, and will demonstrate shortly, was orchestrated by the American government itself. No, none of those things. 
But these things, lockdowns, censorship, issuance of identity cards, giving up our civil liberties and freedom in the name of security, fighting terrorism, having a, quote, willingness to temporarily sacrifice some of our constitutional protections in the name of making America a safer place for everyone, end quote, and, of course, a call to war, and the establishment of a police state allowing police to control the populace. And in that broadcast of 22 years ago, I actually warned that we would know our civil liberties were infringed if we were facing censorship and being told that we wouldn't be allowed to have more than four people in our homes at one time. Wow. Been there, done that. Even though some of those words came out of my own mouth upon hearing them again today in 2023, it was kind of shocking to say the least. It was the same exact script associated with COVID, climate change, Russia, Ukraine, the stolen American election, the assassinations of American presidents and leaders, and every act of treason perpetrated by the American deep state that are now surfacing with our state-manufactured crises of 2023. The entire agenda is one of the state against its own citizens, and there we were talking about it days after 9-11, and yet not seeing the forest for the trees. So when we return from the other side of these upcoming audio bite selections on 9-11, you will be tuned into the living past, specifically to the date of September 19, 2001, where host Jim Chapman will be guiding the panel discussion. But before our journey back in time to the zeitgeist of that period, first, a couple of 2023 interpretations of those events, beginning with the following remarkable production. Now, I was saddened to learn recently that the writer and narrator of a full-length movie that was released on Redacted this past weekend has already passed away. In the introduction to his documentary entitled Peace, War, and 9-11, documentarian Graham McQueen acknowledged that he had only a few months left to live, having been diagnosed with stage 4 cancer about three or four years earlier. The Canadian documentarian, born and raised in Nova Scotia, has produced an incredibly detailed and insightful account of the reality behind 9-11, which as a consequence will make his message immortal and possible to be heard long after his passing. Make a point of checking it out on the site of Redacted, and for a sampling of what you'll discover, here's our first. This is possibly the worst event since World War II. It has set nation against nation, religion against religion, and we now know that it's, it's a fraud. You can discover the fraud pretty quickly if you have the ability to read carefully and to look closely. It wasn't done by Arab extremists, and it doesn't justify bombing people in the Middle East and Central Asia. And so it raises the question in your mind, why? Why would the richest country in the world invade the poorest country in the world? What kind of a peace do I mean and what kind of a peace do we seek? Not a Pax Americana, enforced on the world by American weapons of war. I am talking about genuine peace, the kind of peace that makes life on earth worth living, not merely peace in our time, but peace in all time. 
So the late 50s and throughout the 60s were very important to me. War with North Vietnam. You know, I couldn't believe the depths of evil. How on earth can anyone justify going to the other side of the world, to this obviously poor nation, and bombing the shit out? So there was that, and of course there were the assassinations, which even though, again, I was in Canada, believe me, they were traumatic for us too. I remember uh, in grade 11, the announcement coming over the PA that uh, President Kennedy had been shot. There was just such shock and sadness. And we feared that it might be, you know, someone sympathetic to the Soviet Union. And then God knows what would happen. I also remember when Martin Luther King Jr. was killed. He was a great hero of my father. Malcolm X, Bobby Kennedy, same thing. Years later, I realized that the course of American history had been changed through these false flag assassinations, where losers like Lee Harvey Oswald and the rest of them were set up. Whether we'll ever be able to undo that remains to be seen. I thought, this is hopeless. I either don't understand causes of war, or possibly I don't understand war at all. So I racked my brains and I thought, well, what has been the most insightful stuff I've heard about war recently? And I thought of a talk given by system theorist and game theorist Anatole Rapoport, who had been given a chair of peace studies at the University of Toronto. I think he accepted one dollar a year or something. And he said, don't think about war as an event or a series of events. Think about it as a system. It is a system that is hosted by particular societies and it draws its energy and its lifeblood from them and often to their disadvantage. Like a parasite, tumor on human society, which is the kind of image he used and is something that people die for and kill for and create all kinds of havoc for. Adapting. Now it's feudal system, now it's a republican system, now it's a socialist system. War marches on, it finds ways to adjust. It's a thing, it's an entity. It profits people, it profits companies, it profits elites. You have to understand the system, and you have to understand what it's doing. You have to understand its phases, and if anything can be done to lessen its power over us, because Rappaport felt that whatever functions it may have played in the past, it had now morphed into this parasitic or cancerous growth, which now threatened to wipe us out. The American people are willing to fight wars if their blood is up, if their blood is boiling hot. Well, what is it that triggers that phase change? There are many miles from far Nippon on the Pacific. Our carriers creep toward Hawaii, and all preparations on board are completed. Strong wind blows, the sea is rough, and the waves are high. We can see Pearl Harbor as an example. Did the Japanese attack? Yes. Was it an act of aggression? Yes. Can I approve of it? Certainly not. 
Was it out of the blue? No way. All men are on deck. The commander of the Imperial Air Squadron delivers an address. Now the greatest air attack in the annals of war will be carried out in a few moments. War heroes determined to respond to their country's call. They were thinking, how can we bring the United States in? The population doesn't want a war. They don't want to go to war. So they began to think about it. And they, they had a list of things we can do to provoke the Japanese. And, uh, and they left the sitting ducks in Pearl Harbor and they had broken the Japanese codes. They could see when the Japanese Navy was moving toward Pearl Harbor. They let them come. And then, of course, it was all talked about as a day of infamy and an unprovoked attack. Well, it may have been a day of infamy, but it wasn't unprovoked. It was deliberately provoked. So I call that a managed war trigger. Yes, the Japanese did attack, but the whole thing was managed. And it was managed to bring the United States into the war and to get American citizens enthusiastic about war, which they had not been, and it was successful. And the type of war trigger is the manufactured war trigger. And that's where the whole thing is basically made up. It's not just, you know, the Japanese attack and you make the most out of it. It's where you attack yourself, for example. Uh, false flag um, of one kind or another. And 9-11 is the perfect example of that. take hours to go over all the evidence which proves that the attack on September 11th, 2001 was an inside job. And I suggest you look into it if you haven't already. But to simplify the situation, all you need to do is look at Building 7. What some people still don't realize is that there were three buildings that fell into their own footprint that day. Three buildings that fell at free fall speed, indistinguishable from controlled demolitions because that's exactly what they were. As the towers came crashing down, we can see the signatures of a controlled demolition. The official story is that Building 7, known as Seven World Trade Center, caught fire as a result of debris from the Twin Towers, which somehow caused a critical internal column to break, causing a cascading failure and collapse. And if this nonsensical official narrative were true, it would make it the first and only steel skyscraper in the world to collapse from fires. The building's owner, Larry Silverstein, took control of the Twin Towers just weeks before 9-11 and had them insured to cover terrorist attacks. After Building 7 collapsed, Silverstein told the media that the decision was made to pull it, suggesting that the building was collapsed on purpose. I remember getting a call from the uh, fire department commander telling me that they were not sure they were going to be able to contain the fire. I said, you know, we've had such terrible loss of life. Maybe the smartest thing to do is, is pull it. Uh, and they made that decision to pull and then we watched the building collapse. This implies that they somehow rigged the explosives that afternoon while the building was still burning, which is ridiculous. And so the media dismissed his comments and changed their story. There were several witnesses who reported hearing and feeling the type of explosions one would expect from a controlled demolition. You heard explosions, like boom. It has like a distinct sound. Big explosion, blew us back into the eighth floor. 
somebody grabbed my shoulder and I started running and the shit's hitting the ground behind me. And uh, the whole time you're hearing thum, 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 thum. So, I, I think I know an explosion when I hear it. Do you know if it was an explosion or if it was a building collapse? To me it sounded like, it, to me it sounded like an explosion. The explosions were captured on video. You wanna call, you, you wanna call your mother or something? In fact, you were just uh, told by police that you should move out of your um, apartment, Tatiana. You've got Carolina here. Um, they, they advised us to leave because we had, oh my God. First responders were told that the building was going to be blown up. Oh, Lord. Can you hear that? Keep your eye on that building. It's coming down. The building is about to blow up. Moving back. We are walking back. It's a building about to blow up. Um, and you were, you guys knew this was coming all day. We had been had, we had heard reports that the building was unstable, and that it eventually would either come down on its own, or it would be taken down. The BBC reported live on air that the building already collapsed before it did. Television viewers could see it in the background, still standing. Ago, I was talking about the Salomon Brothers building collapsing, and indeed it has. Apparently that's only a few hundred yards away from where the World Trade Center towers were. And it seems that this was not a result of a new attack. It was because the uh, building had been weakened. And the investigation never even investigated for explosives. The Republican White House then signed into law the Patriot Act which allowed the next Democrat White House to target U.S. civilians as if they were domestic terrorists. And they amended the Defense Authorization Act, which allowed the next Republican White House to experiment on the American people with deadly gene therapy and nanotech vaccines. The same people who did 9-11 are pulling off the climate hoax and the deadly COVID shots. They run both parties of our government. Many have forgotten, and it's time to wake up before they kill us all. Reporting for InfoWars, this is Greg Reese. I'd like to ask both you gentlemen this morning for your comments, and there's really no way around this topic today. I don't think, particularly with these two guests, one a practicing lawyer and, uh, and an avowed uh, lefty, as you said the other day, and uh, Mr. Metz, who is probably the, uh, one of the more keen political minds of my experience, a man whose life is politics, who lives and breathes and researches politics. Uh, to have the both of them here on, on this day with this topic uh, in front of us from earlier this morning is a, is a temptation I can't resist. What we talked about partially in the first hour this morning was potential loss of our civil liberties and the idea being that we may be asked to give up some of our civil liberties in the name of making it easier for the authorities to track down and bring to heel terrorists in this country. South of the border, there has been a lot of talk about this already, probably more than there has been in Canada, but certainly the debate will, will begin in Canada very quickly if it hasn't already. And a number of Americans, very prominent Americans, have expressed their uh, willingness to sacrifice temporarily, is usually how they put it, although there's no time limit that I'm aware of has been put on it, temporarily sacrifice some of their constitutional protections uh, in the name of, of making America a safer place for everyone. Whether the Americans go, there go the Canadians very quickly thereafter, I should think, particularly in a situation like this. And I want to ask both of you gentlemen two related questions, and you can come at this any way you want. A, do you think this is likely to happen? And A, subsection one, to what extent? And B, how do you feel about that? 
I hate to ask people, how do you feel about questions? It's not a question I ask very long, but I think this is such a visceral one, particularly for two guys like you, that I am going to do that. And Jeff, maybe I'll start with you. What do you think is going to happen? How far do you think we'll go? Well, actually, I've been surprised uh, by the reaction of the United States so far in the sense that I think that they've been quite moderate. And uh, I would have expected that there would be, you know, people rampaging in the street and so on. And we really haven't seen that. Now, to some extent, I wonder to what extent that's because George Bush came out so strong at the start and said, this is war, 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 war. And I think, at least for me, people may be sitting back and saying, boy, that guy's more gung-ho than I am even. Uh, you know, let's see if he produces results. Now, the, the problem is going to be that he can say that for a little while, but pretty soon he's going to have to start showing some fireworks if that's that's uh, if it is a war. But to this point, with guys like Colin Powell around and Dick Cheney, they seem very moderate and modest in, in what their reactions are. And I think it, the main point they have to, that they recognize and bear in mind is we have no idea who to go after. So you, so you can't go off in all directions right now. The, the concern that I have big time, though, is that there are some people who would like to see the state have much more power, and, and they just philosophically believe that. And I'm concerned that they will exploit an emotional, a highly emotional time to try and get that power, as we saw with McCarthyism in the 50s. Is that all it is, Bob, in a highly emotional time? It is that. But to your question of, the, of civil liberties, I don't think we have to lose one single civil liberty to fight terrorism, and nor should we or nor have we so far. I do not regard long lineups at the borders or, or more security checks at the airlines as a loss of civil liberty. What about wiretaps without warrant? You see, for me, I've always said the police should have certain authorities to investigate crimes, and that included everything from Paul Bernardo on down. But what we have to have in conjunction with that is responsibility on the part of the police, that if they make a mistake, that they're held accountable. Unfortunately, we're seeing legislation in the country that basically says that if the police make a mistake, well, too bad. You know, and that's unacceptable because then they will start to behave irresponsibly and they will start to behave recklessly. They have to be held accountable for their action. If they do damage to you, they must make reparations of some sort. That will hold things in check. I'm not overly excited about the, the minutia of security concerns. Nobody in this room has a right to walk into Pearson Airport or a right to walk into any airport in, in, in the free world or the, the non-free world. Uh, the, you know, people own those airports. Do we, have, do, do we have a right to have a private conversation between or amongst the three of us, for Yes, example? we do. And you will know that your civil liberties are infringed upon when the state tells you you can't meet, you can't have more than four people at your house at one time. Well, nobody suggested, nobody suggested that, but what, what, what they have suggested is putting screening devices on, on the Internet to uh, locate certain keywords. They have the technology to do it, but the internet providers have been, in the, particularly in the United States, have been using the, uh, is it the First Amendment? Uh, whatever uh, whatever uh, amendment it is that protects them, to say, no, we will not allow that. Now they're saying they may suspend that, so that if you, uh, Robert, were to send an email to Jeff and use the word uh, terrorism or hijacking or something like that, it would automatically show up on an FBI computer somewhere. Well, or, then they're going to be visiting computer. the Freedom Party website over and over again, because we're going to be using those words a lot over the next few weeks. But Anything you do on the internet isn't private. Anything you do on the phone isn't private. These are electronic means that the technicians and people all along the way can listen in on. You know, with a cellular phone, you know how many people have these little uh, radios that they can listen to everything everybody says on mm -hmm. a cellular phone? Some people, for them, that's their afternoon's entertainment. Yeah. And yet people are saying very intimate and personal things on these cellular phones and not thinking twice about their security. So I don't even... I wonder how how security-oriented we are. If, if you're interested in privacy and security, you basically have to pay for it. And people are talking about identity cards. Well, that's a sure way to let the terrorists into the country. All they'll do is get fake identity cards. You know, when, when an official sees a card that looks valid, well, then he's got to let you through. You know, and then the thinking stops. It all becomes regimented mm -hmm. and orderly. And that's what terrorists count on. 
is for their enemies to react and to become more like them, more rigid, more closed, and they can use that structure to walk through. And that's what they've been doing everywhere. So we must not give up our liberties. We must not give up our freedom to fight this. We should go on. Life is normal. And more importantly than that, you know, this is a battle of ideas. We must defend the West's way of life, which is capitalism, which is what is being attacked. And I think that if we want to do something effective against terrorism, we have to learn ourselves and teach our enemies what capitalism is and why they fear it. You know, I think this should be a major thing in our school curriculums right now because that will arm us intellectually, and that's what the battle is about. Uh, Jeff, what do you think about the uh, ID card issue? Bob says it's likely just to lull us into a sense of a false sense of security. Well, I was, I was talking with a, a private investigator yesterday who I've known for some time, and uh, we were talking about this issue of wiretaps, and he said, how naive can you be? You know, he said that that happens all the time now anyway. And mm -hmm. Realistically, the police have the technology to do that and have for a long time, and uh, it's, it's, it's impossibly tempting to use that, and that uh, if you seriously think that that isn't going on, then you're just hopelessly naive. Same with the Internet, same with email. I remember Ollie North uh, getting hoisted by his petard with all his email messages that he didn't realize when you hit delete, they're not deleted. They're mm -hmm. just uh, stuck somewhere else on the hard drive. And I, I'm reminded of, I think it's Scott Neely from, I think it's Novell, who had said a year or two ago, one of the world's two largest manufacturers of internet equipment, and he said, in today's world, there is no privacy. Get over it. Jeff Schlemmer and Bob Metz with us this morning on Left, Right, and Center. I want to ask both of you about uh, this. Uh, uh, Bob, you alluded to the long lineups to get to cross the borders and so on. Uh, there was a report on uh, on one of the networks last night. I was flipping around about the lack of security at airports, which comes as no surprise to anybody who knows anything about security at all. I mean, these, they were trumpeting this as though this was some big, uh, you know, bulletin, 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 bar, our airports aren't safe. Uh, I interviewed uh, Dick Marcinko, who's an expert in this, as long ago as six or seven years ago when he first started to talk about this, that that our airport, not only are they not safe, but it's almost impossible to make them, quote, safe. Sure. Virtually anybody can get anywhere if they're if you're smart enough and study it long enough and have enough resources to get the false documents and so on. Are, are we missing the point here in focusing on airports? Because that's where the focus is now. Let's put armed sky marshals on every plane. Let's, uh, let's check every piece of lint in every pocket before anybody gets on a plane. Are we missing the I, point I, there? I think it's highly unlikely that the second act of terrorism in North America is going to be happening on a plane. You know, personally, I think we might be still seeing some very terrible things happening in North America. You may see a bridge blow up, you may see chemical warfare, you may see a small-scale nuclear weapon used. These things could already be sitting here, waiting just for somebody to push a mm -hmm. button. And that's a reality we have to live with. You know, it's like living with criminals amongst you. You know, you, you have them around you. To me, I don't think in the short term there's anything we can do other than re deliver a response to the acts that were done in, in New York. Otherwise, it will not stop. I think if we go too much in the police action kind of route, we are going to guarantee ourselves a lot more strife. I was, I was listening to Colin Powell on, on Sunday, and he said something really interesting. He said, uh, as far as the U.S. is concerned, this is a binary issue. You're either with us or you're against us. It's yes or no. And he vowed on television there on CNN, he said uh, that, that the U.S. intends to use overwhelming force. And I quoted him here. This is Colin Powell speaking. We will restore a sense of normalcy very quickly in a way that will impress the world. Now, whether the U.S. is up to that or not, well, remains to be seen. Yeah. Yeah. Well, well, and what that means, an overwhelming response, does that mean that they plan to kill thousands of innocent people? Uh, I don't know. Uh, overwhelming response, if there are a dozen people behind this, I presume you would kill them. But overwhelming sounds like a lot more than that. I, I was struck, though, when you saw, there was a picture in the paper last week at Pearson Airport of uh, the uh, police walking around with machine guns and so on. And, and I thought, you know, what in the world has that got to do with what happened? And uh, I'm, I'm a little bit concerned that you have this reaction where we'll do all these things that really have nothing to do with what the issue is. And, and, and I'm inclined to agree 
I remember that there's a statement that uh, you've probably heard, which is, generals always prepare to fight the last war, mm-hmm. not the next one. Mm-hmm. And these guys aren't going to do this again. Now, somebody else may do a copycat version of it, but they'll think of something else fiendishly clever. Not only that, that, consider the example we've already had in front of us. I think it was a fourth plane that went down where the passengers took the terrorists down. Why did they do that? Because they already knew what was happening with the other planes. Mm-hmm. Uh, the next hijacker is not going to have an easy time with the passengers. That's just not going to be a viable way to go. Yeah, that's a very good point. That hasn't hasn't been made a lot. No, and and I was watching uh, some terrorist specialists speaking, you know, and they and they say that these terrorists have a philosophy that runs along the lines of the target has to be lucky a hundred percent of the time. The terrorist only has to be lucky once, and that sort of tells you that the challenge that we're up against in terms of dealing with terrorism if you want to fight it straight on in the physical sense it's not going to happen that way there was an interesting fellow on television last night on the discovery channel his name was dr gerald post and he was a political psychologist who actually interviewed uh, some of the terrorists they caught uh, bombing the uh, world trade center the first time in 1993 mm-hmm. and he explained that their mentality is not uh, they don't think of it as suicide. They call it ishtahad, which I wrote down. He says, which means self-sacrifice. They are sacrificing themselves for this collective that, that they believe in, whatever it may be. And he made it clear that this is not a war in the conventional sense. This is a war for people's minds. And I was astounded to hear him say that, mm-hmm. that that was what is at the root of this. And unless we identify what it is that's at the root of the minds of these people in a political sense this is not nothing to do with religion this is all politics yeah. and what we're seeing in action here is the anti-capitalist mentality that's literally what it is and we're being very cautious really when we say it's clear these buildings were intentionally demolished the evidence is overwhelming whoa oh my god That was another bomb, guys. That was definitely another bomb. Yeah. Oh my God. That was definitely another bomb. Oh my God, it's gone! It's gone! They took it down, man. second thing we discovered was is more complex we thought given the number of their own people on the scene who were talking about the, the, this, these things being blown up how on earth did it happen that by the end of the day on 9-11 an entirely different story was being told at the end of the day everyone was singing from the same hymn book and they were saying that a Saudi dissident by the name of Osama bin Laden and his group of merry men had somehow piloted planes into the buildings and the planes brought them down. You know, there was no explosions or anything involved apart from the initial jet fuel. And it turned out we found there were two main mechanisms that were used to brush aside the possibility that these buildings had been demolished. The first was, if you've got a news anchor that's seriously exploring this possibility, like CNN's Aaron Brown, then you send him an engineer and you make this engineer say to him, no, 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 it was the planes that brought them down, nothing else necessary. This happened at least in three cases. 
And the second is more subtle, but much more widespread. The second technique used to establish the main narrative. And that is that you tell a good story. And there were actually two interrelated stories. One was the story called The War on Terror, and the second is Osama bin Laden. You're saying evil people from across the seas came to our country and set their foot on our soil. And they smashed their planes into these buildings because they hate us and they hate our freedoms. And we found that they told this war on terror story very carefully, starting in the morning, late morning of 9-11, and then getting stronger and stronger all day long. Um, Fox News is probably the most suspect in the sense that John Scott mentions Osama bin Laden. I think it's less than 60 seconds after the second tower is struck. We just saw on live television as a second plane flew into the second tower of the World Trade Center. Now, given what has been going on around the world, um, some, of the, some of the key suspects come to mind, Osama bin Laden, who knows, who knows what. You know, excuse me? We didn't even know this was a crime until this building was struck. Thought it could have been an accident, could have been anything. And suddenly he's coming out with Osama bin Laden. Many of his viewers wouldn't even know who that was. The other stations are slower, but they all get there. Uh, my favorite suspect here, and I have no uh, inside information uh, with respect to this, is, uh, is Osama bin Laden. He seems to be the favorite suspect of a lot of people. There are, quote, good indications that people with links to the Osama bin Laden organization are responsible for today's attacks. Uh, we can't do much better right now at identifying these sources. And others have mentioned that they believe Osama bin Laden is perhaps the only terrorist with the kind of organization who could plan something this massive and this deadly. There's only one group that has ever indicated that it has this kind, kind of ability, and that's Osama bin Laden. Editor of a London-based Arabic newspaper saying he received a warning from associates of Osama bin Laden, but did not take them seriously. Osama bin Laden's name again and again and again, and they used authorities, especially state authorities, like former Secretary of Defense, former Secretary of State, uh, former Prime Minister of Israel, he was very helpful. Ehud Barak, he was in a BBC news station. All these people say, in effect, look, what has just happened to us is an act of war and America must respond with war. And we must go full out on this. We're gonna go places, we're gonna bomb people. And, um, you know, as at least one of the speakers said, I'm sorry to say, you know, we're gonna have to spill some blood here. The former Speaker of the House, Newt Gingrich, is uh, joining us now uh, from our Washington Bureau. Uh, Newt, what's your reaction and what should be America's reaction to these, these developments? This is a 21st century Pearl Harbor. This is a 21st century kind of war. Uh, I think we need to refer to it as an act of war. This was, a, this was not a random event by a random terrorist. This was a systematic, complex operation of military proportions undertaken cleverly by people who have state support and who only survive because they have the support of some states that protect them. And I hope that the American government the president and the American people will react to this as an act of war. Uh, this will be more casualties, I believe, than Pearl Harbor. 
It is at least as horrifying as Pearl Harbor, and it deserves a complete and total American response to ensure that it never happens again. So this was a pretty uh, powerful story that was being told, the story of the evil invaders and the righteous now get angry and strike back, and we are the righteous. And uh, we got to take it, take this war to them, and they even name the states, especially Ehud Barak. He says, well, it's no mystery who these people are. Iran, Iraq, he names all the regional adversaries of Israel and wants them taken out. It was in its own way brilliantly done. The timing was perfect. They did everything very, very professionally. It took money, it took training, it took time, and you have to ask yourself who is capable of that, and you start out with Osama bin Laden. But it wasn't based on evidence, that's the point. The eyewitness evidence of explosions actually would have belonged in a courtroom, whereas all the stuff these guys were telling us, oh, Osama bin Laden said at one point a few months ago he's going to do something bad since it must be him. You know, I'm sorry, that doesn't make it to a courtroom. It was gossip, there was rumor, there were lies. There was no good evidence. A terrorist attack is an attack that is meant to cause terror, especially politically useful terror. The question is, who were the terrorists? Today, our fellow citizens, our way of life, our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. Thousands of lives were suddenly ended by evil, despicable acts of terror. The search is underway for those who are behind these evil acts. I've directed the full resources of our intelligence and law enforcement communities to find those responsible and to bring them to justice. We will make no distinction between the terrorists who committed these acts and those who harbored them. You're going to go down in history as America's greatest mass murderer. Is that what you want? When this bomb goes off, do you think they're going to be looking at me? People will see this as an act of terrorism, so they will be looking for a terrorist, not a patriot, not one of their own. Is that what you think you are, a patriot? There's a word for people like you. It's not patriot. It's traitor. The powers that be have no use for a traitor. So when they find their terrorist, and they will find their terrorists, what do you think will happen to me? Well, let me tell you, because I know them, I know how they think. I will become a footnote in one of your files buried so far back no one will ever find it. Because anything more would be an inconvenience to their self-serving, rabble-rousing narrative. So why don't you do us all a favor and just accept the inevitable? You are listening to Just Right, broadcasting around the world and online. And that could have been the voice of any of hundreds of state operatives who carry out the terrorist activities and assassinations on behalf of the military-industrial complex. 
I'll have some final observations and comments to make in the final quarter of the show today, but first, here again, our conversation is broadcast on September 19, 2001, only days after the mass murder of thousands of its own citizens by the American neocons, a reality that no one during that time period was aware of, let alone could accept. This is Talk of the Town, where interesting people talk and London listens. Bob Metz, Jeff Schlemmer with us this morning. Talking, uh, began to talk about these suspension of civil liberties. We've since moved into the area of potential retaliation by the Americans against the terrorists. I want to move back to a Canadian context, to the Canadian economy. Um, certainly the, the economy of the West, that capitalist economy that Bob talked about a moment or two ago, is under attack. The markets are down significantly. Tom McInerney, our financial advisor, tells us, though, that if you had slept through the past 10 days, woke up today and looked at the markets, you probably wouldn't be shocked that uh, you would could easily say, well, they've kind of sponged their way a little lower. They've softened some more, but nothing drastic. The airlines laying off tens of thousands of people. There's talk of Air Canada having to do that now as well. It looks as though public confidence has been shaken by this. I said, and not jokingly yesterday, although I was accused of, of making light of it, if you want to do something positive, go buy a refrigerator. Any of you guys disagree with that? No. No, and uh, I had a debate with a friend uh, yesterday talking about the stock market and this sort of prediction about whether it would go down a lot and so on. And he, he said that he had heard interviews by managers of pension funds and they talked about how there's no room for patriotism if you're a pension fund manager because your job is to make sure that people's pensions remain intact and that the only obligation you have is to maximize shareholder value. And, and I find that quite appalling. And we've got these people who are leaders in our community who say that the only thing that matters is making money uh, and I'm forced to do that as much as I regret it. Well, that's just nonsense. You know, There's no question that, that uh, those people still have moral obligations and patriotic obligations, I'd say, to their countries, uh, not to let the uh, terrorists make this much, much, much bigger than it already is. And yet it seems inevitable. Uh, you know, that advice of going to buy buy a refrigerator, I mean, that really could apply to the economy at any time, yeah, couldn't it? It could, it could. In the sense that it's a universal principle, I don't see it as being anything distinct that would that would be better just because of an event like this. I don't think we have to go on a spending spree. Well, the purpose behind it is that we're told by the experts that public public confidence is dipping. With public confidence, d- along with that, dip goes dip in consumer spending. Uh, dips in consumer spending tend to uh, weaken into that whole spiral of, of recession and potentially the big D word. And that uh, my feeling was that if you want to, if, if people kept saying, what can I do? What can I do? What can I do? Can I give money? Can I send clothing? Can I send blankets? Go buy a refrigerator, buy a stove, buy a car, buy something. Get into the economy, get into the economy, get into the economy. Well, we are, we're already in the economy. I can't, you know, whether you keep your money in the bank or you spend it, it's still doing good. I mean, the only thing that you can do to harm the economy is put your money in a pillow and burn it or something like that. But even that would help the economy because you'd reduce inflation. So, so I mean, <laughs> well, we, we live in a capitalist society and we have to look at this as, as an opportunity now. I mean, this is an opportunity. First of all, I've never seen the West so unified, even mm-hmm. though it may, may only last for a short time. That's why I think... It will. My prediction is it will only last for a short well, time. Well, that's why I think that, that the attack on terrorism has to be far more than a physical one. It has to be intellectual and moral. And the only way to do that is to stop being ashamed of what we are, what we are in the West, that we practice freedom, that we practice tolerance of all religions, that we practice uh, capitalism, the right of people to exchange things. Y- you know... The World Trade Center was filled with business people, not military people, not people involved in government per se, you know. 
this was a trade center. That's what it was called. And this is what these terrorists are against. It's a mentality, and it's in, it's in the world. It's all around us. It was at the Quebec Trades Summit this last summer, where the only thing all those people protesting could agree on was that they were opposed to capitalism. So they just put themselves in the same camp as the terrorists, as far as I'm concerned. That seems a little unfair to those folks at Quebec. I think it's a totally different. I don't think so at all. I think anybody that tells you they're opposed to capitalism, is opposed to your rights, is opposed to your freedom, is opposed to your right to own property, your right to work for yourself. Anybody that tells you that is your enemy, and you better recognize it. Right now is when you got Colin Powell saying that if you're either for us against us, does that mean that you can't have an opposition in the United States? Does that mean that the Republicans can't, for instance, come out and say some of these things you're doing we sort of disagree with? Gingerly, at some point, we have to get back to having a. a, a No, that's not how the U.S. works. I think he was talking foreign policy, and he's talking so. to the enemy, not but, to his own people. Well, enemy, in fact, who is the enemy? In, in the world right now, there are probably fewer people who would like to point missiles it's not at a us who, than it's have a ever what? existed in my lifetime. Right now, uh, almost all the world has gone to capitalism. China is getting to capitalism as fast as it can. The USSR has done it. All the on? guys with all the, all the missiles have <laughs> bought into our system. Well, we, we have to make they, sure we don't overreact. You know say why? There's a few thousand, well, there may, be, there may be hundreds of thousands of people in the world who are mad at us. And frankly, I still don't understand it. You know, I, I watch CNN and all that stuff. And say, you don't why, understand why envy? They, why are they willing to How kill us? How many times you brought up How Bill Gates? How can they get so <laughs> mad at us? You know, what do we do to those guys? You know, why? You know, I, I can listen to that, but I still can't quite absorb it. I can't say, I, like a Palestinian, I could understand saying, "Well, the United States is helping Israel, blah 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 blah." But it's like, what have we ever do to the Afghani's? We we helped them in the war against the Russians. You know, what have we done since? That's then? what we did, and they <laughs> why are they so for, mad? <laughs> because they because by helping them, we told them that we're superior. That's the message that comes across. They needed our help. They couldn't do it on their own. And the reason lots of countries have gotten help from the United States, though, that aren't willing to go out and kill them. Well, that's because of the of, of the political ideology in some of these countries. It's statism. It's pure government control. There is religion mixed with government. There is the state controlling everything from trade to arms to military. It's a whole status it's society. It's more religious, though, isn't it? And it's that's an, a, a component of it. Remember, government, when combined with religion, is a terribly evil thing. And it doesn't matter whether that religion is Islamic or Christian or anything. Look at the history of the world. That's a proof. But the issue is that we have to fight the the ideas with better ideas. We can't sit here and oh, yeah. apologize for being capitalistic. You know, yesterday, Jim, you made a comment about Maude Barlow. You said you don't pay much attention to her. You better start paying attention to her because she's the problem. She's a person who, you know, is, is spreading, as far as I'm concerned, total evil in society, and we have to address it. We cannot just ignore it because it wins by default. You know, the day before the bombing, you were entertaining a subject on, you know, I think something to do with Canadians being American yeah. or joining the Americans. Mm-hmm. You had a caller on named Carol that day who probably depressed me almost, almost as much as I was depressed when I saw the Trade Center go down. And her anti-American you know, rhetoric was just amazing. And she identified herself as a political science major. But now, So and now you can't disagree that's with the United what States t- because something bad happened to them? Well, apparently 500, 500 Canadians were apparently killed yeah. as well. But does that mean we have to stamp out dissent? This is exactly what happened in Truman's era with McCarthy. Right, is, is, that what, is that what you hear me saying? It's unpatriotic not to think it's a good idea to go out and kill thousands of innocent people. That's, that's, that's well, the danger. Well, I don't think that. I think we have to get we have into to walk very an ideological about battle. How we, can, how we can shape this that's going on. Basically, it's is George Bush the guy who's going to decide everything from now on and anybody who stands up and says I eh, mean, you should do it a little bit differently is unpatriotic and is evil and all that Look, kind of I'm stuff. Look, I'm the first guy here to criticize American policy on foreign policy, on its domestic drug policy. But that's a separate issue. We're talking on another level now. In a free society, people have a right to disagree. And the rules are that you never initiate force against someone else. When somebody breaks that rule, there are no more rules anymore. When you're in a state of war, you're basically saying rights are suspended, the common accepted rules that we were playing by up for a while are going to be suspended, and there's going to be serious action. Well, and we, I and we don't 
consider the normal why consequences. Used the W word, but I was glad to hear Colin Powell at the start of his remarks saying whether or not it's legally a war, we consider it to be a war. In fact, it's not a war in the sense that wars that's traditionally true. been fought between states. You know, that's the whole problem right now. We're just blind, and and the question is, how do we react to that? If Bush was sincere when he said he's not going to distinguish between those who harbor terrorists and the terrorists themselves, we will have a war. We'll have a war, that's true. And who will have so started make no it? mistake. <laughs> who will have started it? Right now we don't have a legal war because there's no state involved in it. The United States is unlike any other country that has ever been invented on the planet Earth. Um, as Ayn Rand said, you know, the U.S. was the first country invented that, that subordinated government to moral law. Isn't that a first dangerous thing to do too? Isn't that absolutely like religion? Not. Isn't that the same no, as religion? No, morality and religion are, are quite often in conflict, as we can see yeah. in this state of things. It thing. depends how you define that. Um, well, if you believe morality is a mystical thing and a make-believe thing and you ba base it on faith, then that's one thing. But if you understand that morality is based on reason, on real metaphysics and real Well, the French Revolution things, was based reality, on reason, basically. but it went really bad. And, and it's true, the United States experiment has worked out amazingly well, and I think a lot of it has to do with its capitalism. That was really the innovation well, has everything of the United to do with States. It. Yeah, Absolutely. it's not morality is such an amorphous concept. Everybody thinks they're moral and their country's moral, blah, blah, blah. The, the, the essence States of capitalism is... Is, is contract law, and contract yeah. law is based on keeping promises. When you yes. break a promise, that's an immoral act. When I promise I'm going to do something, I mean, to, to a degree, you know, yeah. and that's what capitalism insists, is that you have this structure in place that you can have long-term promises that have to be kept. That's what creates things like airplanes, scientific invention, the ability to go to the moon, because yeah. you can Trusting count on people, to follow up on people having, and if are, they don't, yeah. there are consequences. That's the proper function of government. That's, and, the, and the U.S. was one of the first governments that discovered it. But I hope the United States can go back to first principles, though, and recognize that that's, that's what's important here, is that there are people who are not on board, but there are lots of people who, who are not on either side. You know, It's not that they support people killing people, but they may not agree with everything the states does. And a lot of them live in Afghanistan, for instance. A lot of them live in Pakistan. You know, you've got some of them in Iraq. Uh, you know, and, and I really hope that they're smart about it and, and really decide, look, we've got this power. Well, what is the states doing blindly. there? Who are the states bombing? Who are they killing? Who are they I saw damaging? yesterday these pilots, uh, fighter pilots, saying that you know, we have to make sure the United States uh, air, air is kept uh, secure. And I'm thinking... I saw to do with Africa. Air, air, against airplanes, I hope that it doesn't come to that, although I guess it almost did last week, and it may again. But again, to me, the United States has to realize this is a totally different thing, whether you call it war or whatever it is. It's an extremely strategic thing where they have to think really smart. And what I would love to see is them spending a lot more on airline security, for instance. I, I know you, you see these guys who are the uh, the people operating the x-rays machines and stuff. They're paid minimum wage or very low wages, and I just think that's just wrong. We need So that makes them incompetent, does it? You know, highly I had so many people... people Point Doing out those to me. jobs, we need people with a lot of training, people who are worth a lot more than that. And we need to make sure we spend our money on that instead of the war on drugs. I don't think we need to spend more money on those people. I think we just need to fire incompetence and put incompetent people. No, I think they need more training. Though a lot of these people, do, well, that's what competence is about. It's rudimentary, and it is going to mean more money, and that's going to mean in the training. It's sure. going to mean our airline ticket prices go up. Are we but ready for that? It wouldn't occur to me to not fly in a plane, though, because of this. Like, if anything, as you say, it's probably less likely now because they've shot their bullet. But, you know, the first principle of sort of a revolutionary weapon is that you hit them as hard as you can the first time because, as Bob said, you won't get a second chance. You won't have surprise the second go-round. So I think flying's probably safer today than it was a week ago. On that note, we will leave you and thank both of our guests, uh, Bob Metz and Jeff Schlemmer. Always a pleasure, gentlemen, and Thanks, we look Jim. forward to having you, you back Jim. together again. 9-11 was a tremendous war trigger. It led to destruction of whole nations. It led to a lot of deaths, refugees, and as the Buddhists would put it, grief, lamentation, and despair. We cannot accept it because it's a fraud. We have to study it. We have to expose it.
When I realized I might not be around very long on this earth, I thought, well, let's try to complete this mission in a dignified way, whether it's through research or doing this film or putting my articles together into a volume which is happening, we'll try and complete this mission. I've been an anti-war activist, and I have paid special attention in the last 17 years or so to 9-11, this fraudulent war trigger. <laughs> and I've done my best, and I'm, I can go with a satisfied mind. If there is any major point to be made with today's 9-11 retrospective, it is that the narrative behind each of these false flag events has the same greater objective, to bring an end to capitalism and freedom and to target and control the citizenry. Fact is, you either have capitalism or you have slavery. That is the ultimate binary. When I talked about having to live with and accept the possibility of any terrorist kind of catastrophe and said that it's sort of like living with criminals among us, little did I dream in my wildest dreams that I was actually describing exactly the crime we were being confronted with at that time. And the criminals were among us and still are today. But perhaps the most offensive statement made by my lefty opponent, Jeff Schlemmer, was when he argued that the American experiment worked out really well and that had something to do with capitalism, but morality was irrelevant. It's such an amorphous concept. Well, that statement defines the very essence of the left's evil, its belief in moral relativism. Actually, morality is a black and white binary, not amorphous at all. At what amorphous stage are murder, rape, and theft considered to be moral? What I didn't get around to saying about capitalism during that 9-11 conversation is that capitalism is not an economic quote-unquote system. It is a moral one. Thus the irony in Jeff's dismissal of morality and ethics as being relative while simultaneously citing capitalism as the source of America's success. Capitalism is the economic consequence of living in a free society based on the principle of individualism and a rejection of all forms of coercion, meaning the initiation of the use of force, not to the defensive use of force, which is the fundamental essence of having any right, the right to use force in the defense of life, liberty, and property. Just think how far the Western nations have drifted from that moral principle. And think about how we'll be able to sail back to that condition that Ayn Rand called capitalism the unknown ideal. Only by knowing it can we rediscover it. And it is our mission of eternal vigilance to do exactly that, together with you, when you join us again next week as we continue our journey in the right direction. And until then, be right, stay right, do right, act right, think right, and be right back here. We'll see you then. Into black and white Under the bedclothes Everything will be alright You know, I'm the kind of guy who just thinks it's abominable when a superpower with all this military might with no provocation attacks a, a, a country that is, uh, you know, like, like, you know, Iraq, uh, sorry, Afghan, I'm, I'm sorry, Viet, <laughs> Korea, no, sorry, Ukraine. Uh, terrible. Uh.